Pulp MX Network production. Pulp MX fans, we're 550 plus shows and counting thanks to your support of our sponsors. Get the Pulp MX app for iOS and Android today. Save money with discount code PULPMX at btosports.com and click the Amazon banner on PULPMX.com for all other online purchases. It's the BTOsports.com Steve Mathis Show, presented by Fox Racing on RacerXOnline.com. The original Moto Podcast, featuring legends of the past, stars of today, season previews and race reviews, introspection, opinion, facts, and laughs. Here's your host, Steve Mathis. Welcome to the BTOsports.com RacerX podcast presented by Fox Racing. BTOsports.com, the nation's leading retailer for anything you need for your bike or body. And uh, use the code PulpMX when you check out to save money. And brand new website, mobile phone friendly, great shipping rates, and proud sponsors of Andrew Short and Justin Brayton on the BTO Sports KTM team. And presented by Fox Racing, foxhead.com, uh, V3 Instinct uh, helmet, um, Boots, uh, airspace goggle, Ryan Dungey, Kenny Roxon wears it, foxhead.com. Not much more you can say about Foxhead. Uh, check out their va- brand new helmet with MIPS technology. And, of course, uh, uh, they got some mountain bike stuff, street stuff, anything you need, foxhead.com. They proudly present this to you. I'm your host, Steve Mathis. With me on the line is uh, a past Supercross champion, a guy that um, I've been wanting to do this for a little while. And then uh, I finally remembered that uh, Mike Bell won the 1980 250 Supercross title, and he may be one of the only Supercross title guys that I haven't done one of these with. So he's he's on the line. Mike Bell, what's up, man? Thanks for doing this. Hey, Steve. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's good to you know talk to you and get 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 a little bit of uh, insight into what's going on. Of course, Racer X Coombs has been writing away at these Razor X Racer X uh, Supercross countdowns, and uh, I was like, oh yeah, Mike Bell. Like, and then I started doing some research, and when you won the title. Seven wins and and you uh, you walked to the title that year. So, you know, yeah, it was definitely a a really uh, a good season. Um, obviously, the sport was quite a bit different than it is now. If you look through that, there were I think we had five double nighters in an eighteen race series, and um, it was tough. It was a uh, it was tough to do those back to back. Right. Um, I know none of our our current. Um, anyone that's currently racing has any idea what, what it means <laughs> unless they've gone and done, you know, uh, yeah. or, you know, some of the international, uh, races, but yeah. to do a full on, you know, supercross full pack stadium, 20 laps, and then get up the next morning and do it again. Yeah. Cause um, the next day would be afternoon, right? It wouldn't be night. Correct. Yeah. That yeah, would yeah. be more of a, more of a daytime thing. So we'd start, you know, practicing, uh, much earlier. And then we were, we were, you know, uh, you know, plugging off at, at main events by, you know, uh, two, three o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. Wow. It's crazy time. No doubt about it. Hey, um, uh, earlier last, uh, last year, Feld brought in every Supercross champion that there's ever been. And, uh, it was really cool deal. They did a good job with it. Uh, wh- what'd you think? How, how was that being down there with all those guys and looking around and being like, Hey, I'm, I'm one of these guys. I'm in a select group of guys. It's uh humbling. That's for sure. Um, like, like everyone else, I, I grew up as a fan, you know, my dad rode, uh, scrambles and, you know, mm-hmm. Grand Prix is a dirt bike racer from 
the year that I was born, my dad got his first dirt bike. So, you know, I was always around it, always loved it. But to be able to, you know, ever even have a chance to be a factory rider, you know, to win a Supercross or a national, let alone a championship, you know, it's just something, it's really, it's really a, a dream, right? Mm-hmm. And and when it all happens, it's it's all seems like as it should be, right? But when <laughs> right. time goes by and, you know, you know, 30, 40 years later, yeah, just going, wow, this is pretty cool. And, and the fact that most of us are still around and healthy and, and getting around on, on our own, mm-hmm. it's really, uh, it's really a lot of fun. But to, um, you know, be named off the, in the, in the same list of riders as, you know, McGrath and Carmichael and Johnson and, um, you know, yeah. and, uh, um, Villapoto, Dungy. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Uh, Chad Reed, Bubba Stewart. I mean, on and on and on, um, all the way to the very beginning with Pierre Carsmakers. And, mm-hmm. um, it really, really was, uh, a magical evening. And I really do appreciate Feld going to so much trouble to get us all in town and get yeah. all our schedules lined up. It was really, really a great event. Was there one guy that you hung out with the most, talked to the most while you were around doing the autograph signings and down on the floor, and, or somebody that you wanted to talk to that you got a chance to uh, reconnect with or anything like that? Was there a, a little bit of a, of a, a, like you said, you're a fan, so was there a guy that you were like, hey, I want to talk to this guy again, or I haven't seen this guy forever, or whatever? Well, the, the cool thing for me was, I was on a pretty iconic team throughout my career. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, when you're, you have Bob Hanna, Pierre Carsmakers, and Roger DeCoster's photos hanging on your wall in your room. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, within that, you know, at that same time, you end up signing a factory contract. And I'm now teammates, <laughs> you know, with Bob Hanna, Brock Glover, uh, Pierre Carsmakers, Rick Brigat. It's it's kind of an out of body experience, right? Yeah. So it it's always been that way to me. I think every one of the champions has a, has their own place in, in my own personal in my heart, right? Mm-hmm. Because um, being really good friends with you know the first Supercross champion Pierre Carsmakers, he was a, a mentor to me when I first started riding. Mm-hmm. So to know him all the way up to you know knowing someone like. Ryan Villapoto, who we go out and, you know, ride bikes with and show up at events. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, he's been an Oakley athlete for a long time. So there's, it's, um, it's a really, really unique situation. The guy that I probably enjoy the most though, um, and we were pretty close and we were really far apart, um, was me and Mark Barnett. We had yeah. some really great battles and I just always had so much, and still do have so much respect for the bomber. Um, yeah. You know, just a tough, you know, kid, and you know, we we kind of came through at the same time, mm-hmm. and we raced each other really hard for a long time, and yeah, um, we were pissed off at each other quite a few times, <laughs> but somehow, you know, when the helmets came off and the you know the the gear went in the bag mm-hmm. and we jumped on the plane, we always seemed to you know get along and looking out for each other and um so it was really i think and because we don't see him very much right yeah yeah he's um, not yeah he's not he, i mean he was around for a long time building the tracks but not for a while now and he's such a quiet under soft-spoken kind of guy too you don't he's not tooting his own horn or anything out there you know what i mean so the media no. doesn't the media doesn't connect with him a lot either 
No. If you were just a, even if you, you'd have to be a pretty hardcore fan to to know that you were talking to Mark Barnett. Mm-hmm. And if you just met him, and you were just sitting waiting for a plane or getting a cup of coffee somewhere. Yeah. This is the guy that you would literally have to know him for months before he'd ever say <laughs> that. Oh, yeah. Once upon a time, right. I used to ride dirt bikes. And I was pretty good. Yeah. You know? I made a lot of money. I won a lot of titles. <laughs> yeah. That that might never come out of his mouth. And right. So, again, I don't want to single anyone out, but right. Bomber definitely has a place, special place in my heart. I'm a little younger than you, so you were a little bit before my time. Um, uh, but I, I, I did love Bomber when I was a little kid. And when I did one of these with him, I got to meet him, you know, because he built the tracks. I was a mechanic for a long time. I worked for a ferry and these guys. And he right. built a lot of their tracks. So I got to meet him here and there. And I was always kind of just like, wow, this guy doesn't like, kind of doesn't really, you know, act like this mighty superstar guy. He's really, like you said, soft-spoken, humble, like whatever. Um, and then I, I did a one of these podcasts with him and he was, again, it was hard to get anything out of him, you know, hard to drag <laughs> it out of him. Right. Um, yeah. but, but then like, I, I'm pretty good friends with O'Mara and Ward and uh, and even Hannah a little bit. We've talked, uh, we've done a few of these, and we've we've had some private conversations. And I'll tell you what, you want to talk about a guy, and I know this is a Mike Bell podcast, and we're going to get into all about Mike Bell, but you want to talk about a guy that, like, has the ultimate respect from some of these greatest riders of all time. It's Barnett. I mean, you these guys are like, you did not want to see this guy at the end of the moto. You You had, he was as tough as nails. He would never quit. He was a machine. I mean, these guys... They have more wins than him or more titles or whatever, but they'll tell you straight up that Barnett was unbelievable. Yeah, he really was. And he was, he was um, you, you just knew you didn't, you didn't mess with him. You know what? He, <laughs> right. if, if, if you did something and you ended up having to put a, a hard pass on him or take him down, you know what? He never brought it up and he wasn't a, he, he didn't threaten you. He didn't come uh-huh. over and say, payback's a bitch. He didn't do any of those things. You just sort of knew yourself. You knew, like, you know yeah. what? He really, I owe him one, right? Like, right, right, in a right. good way. Yeah. I mean, he's going to, and it, it'll never be payback, right? He, he, just, he just moved on. Yeah. And I think he really looked at racing motocross as, as a job. And the, I mean, the reality of it, it, it is, it's a very serious job. You do it for a very short amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he didn't grow up a rich kid. He he worked really, really hard for everything that he got. There was not one person that ever said, oh, his dad got him in or, oh, yeah. he knew somebody or, you know, he had a lot of money or he bought his way. He absolutely positively, you know, worked his butt off. And I just always had a, as, as I said, I still have a ton of respect for, for the bomber, like like everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. It's it's like universal respect from everybody. No one has a bad yeah. word to say about the guy besides like he was so gnarly. Like O'Mara talks about beating him in that one twenty five title. And he's like, I felt yeah. like I slayed the king. I felt like I beat Jesus, you know? Yeah. Like it just <laughs> So um anyways, hey, so what you're you're we talked before I hit record and, and you follow the sport, you read Racer X, you're you're still up on everything that's going on. So that's that's cool. Yeah. Of course. I'm a huge fan. Um you know, it's you never you never walk away from a sport like this, right? Mm-hmm. It's just in it's in my blood, and uh, obviously very interested. It's it's a lot different, but have a ton of respect for what these guys are able to do now, and mm-hmm. you know the how the sport has evolved into such a professional 
big time TV sport, mm-hmm. um, the amount of fitness, the amount of training and the amount of, I think the thing that is the, I think is the gnarliest thing about what these guys do is the intensity in which they train and test mm-hmm. because they have to do what they do on Saturday night, three to four days a week. Mm-hmm. So the chances that they take on 20 laps is, um, is probably the easiest day of their week Yeah, because the tracks are perfectly groomed. Yeah. There's people out there recently, but you know, when you're riding and you're taking big risks like that on a practice track, mm-hmm. it's, I don't think a lot of people have an understanding of just how risky that is yeah. every single day. And we, I mean, and we saw it a bit. I mean, I think Ryan Villapoto reached a point where he was like, I'm out, you know, Ricky retired pretty early. I think they were just yeah. like, Hey, I've worked so hard. I don't have yep. much to give. And, and RV's obviously doing the GPs, but it's a more laid-back schedule, which is what he was looking for, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Oh. The Supercross series um, and then followed up by the Nationals are just the, – the competition level is so high. The fitness level and the conditions and, the you know, the bike prep mm-hmm. um, is just such at a high level. There's just no room for any error. Um, so I have, a, I have a ton of respect for what these guys do, and at no point do I – I'm I'm not one of those guys that said, well back in the day, <laughs> right. yeah, those guys, these guys could never beat Hannah. They couldn't yeah, beat yeah. me at Seattle. They couldn't be, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think of it like that. It's it's uh, it's a new it's a it's yeah. a it's the same basic sport, but uh, but things have changed a lot. Um, what are you doing now? What's what's going on in Mike Bell's life? Well, the probably the coolest thing is uh, you know always family for me. My uh-huh. wife, Linda, um, I have three kids, um, two that are already grown up and uh, away from home. Um, my youngest, uh, that's my, and my daughter, Brooke, she's a flight attendant for American and my son is an electrician and they're always staying busy and mm-hmm. traveling and working. And my youngest son, Sean is, a um, aspiring, um, cyclist. Okay. He, he, um, is a factory rider for the Santa Cruz, um, team and, uh, super proud of all my kids. Uh, but it's really fun to watch Sean, um, you know, pursue Mm -hmm. his, his, his dreams. Um, you know, like we all want to, right. So just super proud of that. And, um, just, you know, So you've been able to not be able to uh, whatever you've done investment wise or everything else. You've been able to kick it kick it a little bit. That's nice. It's a good thing. Well, you know, yeah. I was for sure lucky. The life that I lived has a lot to do with you know races and championships that mm-hmm. that I won, um, as well as um, just being in good standing. You know, within the, the industry. Yeah. Um, even all the things I've done for Yamaha over the years. You know, they continue to treat me and most of the, the the riders that ever rode for Yamaha like we're still factory riders. Yeah, we're not pulling down the big salary, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, yeah. Still, they still treat us very well, and we That's get to do a lot of the you know past champions events, and um, so it's really an honor to be associated with such a, uh, a great brand like Yamaha and people like um, Bob Starr that you know keep it, keep it alive for all of us. Yeah. Really, really, really grateful. I do this internet radio show called the Pulp Mech Show, and I got Villaman in quite a bit. Uh, and he still, I mean, he can't talk enough good things about Yamaha, about Keith McCarty, the way he's been treated ever, even since he since he retired. 
You know what I mean? He's pumped. He, yeah. He's he's agreed with all the thing, things that you said. That yeah. They've really helped him yeah, out, would, you know? I just did, went to Day in the Dirt, and Yamaha provided me with a brand-new motorcycle and, you know, whatever I need. And, you know, I ride a Yamaha street bike every day. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's just it's just great. And uh, Dennis McNeil, everyone there, um, Kim, Jennifer, all the people, Keith, of course, the whole race team, yeah. uh, Jimmy Perry, all those guys, it's just such a nice thing. I really feel like I'm a part of that family, and it's it's crazy. You know, I've been a part of that family since 1977. Yeah. So we go we yeah. go way back. Yeah, you very you, very lucky. You never rode another brand, or oh, actually, let's get to the bottom of this first of all. I don't know. Have you ever checked out the Vault on Racer X? Yeah, I have. Actually. Okay, that's not you, right? That raced in '89 and '91. <laughs> no, it's no. It's not. Yeah, I didn't think so because I think I would have remembered that that Mike Bell came back for some races, but you. No, would've... I never <laughs> didn't throw a leg over again. My last year was 1983. Right. Okay. I'll get I'll get someone on Racer X crack staff to fix that. But um, basically, it says that there's a Mike Bell that raced Washougal and, and some other Supercross. I think there is another Mike Bell, and I and I have met dozens of Mike Bells in my life. Right. And um, you know, but. Uh, yeah, and I think a lot of times people, oh Zach Bell, oh is he your is he your nephew? Oh, yeah, or, you yeah. know, it's like, no, and no, I'm not, I'm not related to Robbie Bell, or you know, <laughs> yeah, all the all the other people. So, yeah. um, well, let's get in the time machine a little bit and go back in your career. And and I didn't realize this. Dave O told me that your old mechanic, Dave Osterman, still around. And uh, and and I got Dave O on the phone to tell me a little bit of give me some Mike Bell stories and some Mike Bell info. Um, I didn't realize this, but growing up in SoCal, you're born and raised in SoCal. Your dad was a, a very uh, famous and very good motor builder, uh, motor modification guy growing up. So you obviously had good bikes your whole life. Yeah, I was very lucky. My dad uh, was a carpenter. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was four years old, my dad, it, you know, work was slow and he had this, you know, he had a, a dirt bike. He had bought a BSA Gold Star the same year I was born. And um, had some friends that worked at Long Beach Honda, got a job in the service department there, and really found his niche as a as an engine builder. And he was just very well known for converting motorcycles of that era that were definitely not dirt bikes right. into into serious um, dirt bikes and mainly off road bikes. But he did build me a couple of motocross bikes that were just really unbelievable. A lot of people don't realize that in 1976. I won Mammoth Pro Class on a full, on a on a Honda uh, four stroke single. No, oh, yeah. Uh, that yeah. that my dad had built me, and you know that was against guys like Pat Richter, Marty Trice. I mean, a yeah, lot of yeah. you know Some good guys, legit, right. good guys. And to win a tough race like Mammoth on a four stroke, then I mean, I can guarantee you, I was the only person there on a four stroke <laughs> for sure, right? <laughs> um, so I, the sad thing is, is. My dad uh, died at a pretty young age of 47 oh, uh, from a brain tumor. And I always just think, you know what? My dad was just just born in the wrong era because, yeah, yeah. you know, that where I was four-stroke. My dad probably would have been making a million dollars a year tuning four-stroke <laughs> engines, you know? Your dad was probably running around so, in Mammoth saying, four-strokes are the future, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Be quiet, old man. <laughs> yeah. What do you know? So, oh, that's but he funny. also built, he, he built in a shop. They, he built the bike that um, won the 1968 Baja 1000 oh, okay. um, overall. Yeah. So, 
it's, we've been doing, we were doing it for a long time. Wow. So you just grew up in motorcycles in your blood, like just from, I mean, kind of like me too. The first thing I ever remember was riding a dirt bike, but, uh, and this is the time in SoCal too, growing up, you could race. I mean, I talked to Jimmy Perry about this, you know, he's also around that era. Uh, you could race four or five times a week, right? I mean, it was crazy. Absolutely. Yeah. We used to race, um, let's see, Ascot on Wednesday night, Orange County, uh, raceway on Thursday night, Irwindale, um, after they, you know, Lions Dragster for a long time, then it closed down. Then we did Irwindale mm-hmm. and then we would either race usually Saddleback on Saturdays and then it would be wherever the biggest purse was, right? We yeah. either ride Carlsbad, Saddleback or Indian Dunes for me. So that was, you know, kind right. of much, kind of the week. And you didn't always race every single one of those. Right. Um, because, um, I mean, for a long time, I also worked in a motorcycle shop. I had to do something to earn the entry fees and, <laughs> right, right. you know, um, try to keep things going. It, it was, I probably went longer than most just because my dad worked in the shops and, mm-hmm. you know, we used to, I mean, it was funny. We used to turn a tire around and run it the other direction before I would get a new one. <laughs> yeah, so, <wow. laughs> when did you, like, when did you or your dad start going, Hey, like, I'm pretty good. Or, or when did he say like, Mike's pretty good. And, and when does Yamaha step in with some, some, when do you start thinking like, I could maybe make a living at this? What, what, is there some age where you, I mean, cause there's no Loretta's, there's none of that back then, yeah. you know? So no. when, when do you start going, wow, I'm actually like pretty good at this. I think there was a few times. So, you know, I won the CMC um, championship and the number one plate, which is a big deal in SoCal in mm-hmm. 1974. Um, I, I want to, you know, I'd come through and we all progressed pretty quick. Mm-hmm. I mean, I went from, you know, my first race to racing in the, in the pro class for money in about, I don't know, four or five months. Wow. Okay. And yeah. What, and that, that was no, that wasn't a big deal. All you had to do is win three races in that as a novice. Mm-hmm. You won five races as an intermediate or any combination that led to that many amount of points. Yeah. And you were an expert. And oh, Stu Peters and, and Calvin Franks, they were hardcore on sandbaggers. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So anyone that you met that grew up in my era have three novice win trophies. That's it. If you have more than that, then you're a dirty, low-life, bed-wetting <laughs> cheater. So, right. And, and so we just moved up quick. Yeah. And we had a ton of competition, um, almost – Every time there was even a $300 purse somewhere, there would be at least 80 125 pros on the line. We'd have to race to qualify down to a, yeah. you know, a 12 lap uh, single moto to give you up the money, right? And I guess, and like, I guess like Marty Smith's before you, right? He's already a pro by the time you kind of start. A pro, yeah. But when I first started racing, he was still on a Monarch. Oh, okay. And yeah. And then the next year, he was on the Honda Elsinore, and yeah. then we, of course, we all. I was lucky to be sponsored by Long Beach Honda. But mm-hmm. to get to your to your question, before I ramble on all over the place. No, that's is, fine. Hey, go ahead. I love this stuff. Yeah, don't feel. Ramble my, on. Um, you know, you, you win local races, and most of what I, I'd be really become known more as a night racer. And <laughs> yeah. I, I won a lot at Ascot. And, you know, you, you kind of know the dirt. And it was, you know, I got used to winning at a few tracks. And then I also got used to, you know, getting my butt kicked when I'd race against Marty Smith and Billy Urban and um, Tommy Croft. Yeah. And, you know, all those guys when I go to Carlsbad 
Um, right. You travel down. Would, you travel down to San Diego, and the local guys would be like, "Check this out on the hardback." Yeah. Right. Well, just just to put it in perspective, my first goal, even though I was winning local pro races at night, yeah. My first outdoor goal was to stay on the lead lap with Tommy Croft, Marty Smith, oh. Billy Urban. I mean, some of the guys you may not even even know the Mark Tires and you know the Bruce McDougals and all those guys right. were. Just to stay on the lead, on the same lap in a twelve lap race was a big deal. That was yeah. my first goal when I actually got to do all twelve laps. That was a, <laughs> I still remember that. But that was yeah, a, yeah. that was a big deal. And um, and then you know you go and you you win for a while, and you know the pros would go away out of the nationals, and then you know you have a little bit of a run. They come back and. They school you a little bit, but, mm-hmm. oh, you know what? I'm a little closer. I'm a little closer. Right. And then you go through the same thing as everyone else. You know, although I was getting great support from Long Beach Honda, it was just a, a shop deal. And um, there would be, you know, the, the teams would get switched. And, you know, okay, Marty try, Marty Smith yeah. and the, the guys on Team Honda. And um, I think it was Dennis Blount that was in charge at the time, the team manager. You know, I knew him. I knew him through my dad and, right. you know, all that stuff. And, you know, he goes, oh, we got our eye on you. We got our eye on you. And then mm-hmm. they would pick a team, and then I wouldn't be on it. And then <laughs> it would be like, okay. That, well, hey, guess- that, that one year – sorry to interrupt you. That one year, Honda had like 18 guys, though, and you couldn't even make the cut then. <laughs> exactly. Because, <laughs> like, Gary Chaplin was- and – Gary Chaplin and uh, – I think it was Richter and all. I mean, they had a huge team one year around that time. Oh, yeah. yeah. They had a lot of guys. I mean, even guys like Bruce Barron. And, you know, there were a lot of guys that were on their program, but they had a lot of test riders. And, mm-hmm. you know, they had guys that were good. I mean, um, Daniel Boone. There was a bunch of guys that were like East Coast guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, and anyway, I just, I thought, okay, you know, I'm going to have to go on the Nationals. So, um, me and my friend, Jim Doman, we loaded up my, my Dodge van. My mom and dad had bought me a used U-Haul trailer for my, (laughs) for my high school graduation. We took off, drove all the way to Midland, Michigan after I had a DNF at Hangtown and then drove all the way to Michigan only to fall in the first turn of the qualifier, get run over and have my arm broken in the first (laughs) turn of the first qualifier. Welcome to the pros, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we loaded up, drove back to California, and, um, you know, I just struggled through that year, 76. Um, I, I still didn't have any support, mm-hmm. um, still just riding for Long Beach Honda. They became a Husqvarna dealer, so I rode a Husqvarna, um, and that was tough. Yeah. That was really tough time. Is this Pro Circuit, then, Pro Circuit Husky days, or is Mitch not around yet? Is he still? Mitch wasn't around yet. Okay, this still. This out of yeah, Long Beach Honda. Yeah. Right. It's a, it's a a shop sponsored yeah. bike, which is still uh, Long Beach is still there, right? Are still in business, same place or different? I don't, is it? It's different now. Okay, yeah. all right. Because I could swear there's a Long Beach Honda still, like to this day. But there's a Long Beach Honda cars. Oh, okay, maybe that's it, right? Yeah. So um, in '76, I rode all different kinds of bikes. I mean, I rode <laughs> for my dad. I rode the the four stroke yeah. um, that he built in. I won a lot of races. I actually won Mammoth. I won the four-stroke world championship that year. Uh-huh. Um, I won the the night nationals, but I still was just a local rider. Yeah. So when Hannah and Glover had left 
in 76 to go to Team Yamaha. Right. That opened some spots at DG. So they hired me and a guy named Dave Taylor to be their guys, right? Okay. Um, and we were on we were on Suzuki's in 76. Yeah. And and uh, I had some, you know, I had a few wins, but I wasn't, I wasn't turning the world upside down, right? I rode the support class in the Trans Am series yep. and drove to Texas and Puyallup and mm-hmm. had only top 10 finishes. But, you know, still thinking, yeah. you know. I mean, how old are I you do, at this point? Like, what are we talking, how old are you at this, you know? Um, like eight, 18, I guess. Okay, yeah. So still a kid, like still like coming yeah. up, yeah. Yeah. And then in 77, so 17, 18, then in 77, uh, as as the end of the season comes up, uh, Harry Clem and, um, and um, oh, man, I can't think of that day. Um, Clem Research? Uh, like Clem Research or whatever? No, Harry Clem, he worked for DG. Oh, okay. All right. And so they said, hey, we're not going to ride Suzuki's anymore. We're going to ride these Yamahas in 77. Mm-hmm. And, of course, nobody knew that 77 was when we they came out with the Monoshock. If you ever compare, think about a Yamaha in 1976, mm-hmm. and then think about a Yamaha is 1977. Yeah. It, it was... I mean, they changed the sport, right? Oh, really? Huh? The, I never really... No, I knew... I know, I know the, you know the Monoshock was a big deal. I knew it was really good. I didn't know it. I mean, I never know it was that big of a deal, but it was it was good, huh? <laughs> it was think just. I mean, for you and your listeners, I mean, think about it. just just go through and look at pictures of a 1976 YZ race bike, <laughs> not a factory bike. Yeah, just yeah. But a production bike versus a 1977. Okay. It changed a lot of people's minds. I mean, a lot of people got into dirt bike riding because of Yamaha in that year. Yeah. And it just was one of those things. It just clicked. I was still riding local, but I won a lot of races. And I think the turning point for me was there was a Saturday. We used to do 45-minute motos at, at um, Saddleback on Saturdays. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of a big deal, right? Because yeah. that's, that's what the races were. And we did, you know, 40 minutes. I think we did 40 minutes plus one lap because yeah. we never got a two-lap deal. Anyway, um, so I was riding, and it was probably March or April, um, and I've been riding that Yamaha for those months and had won a lot. And Jimmy Weiner showed up and, you know, he, at that point, I think, was he reigning national champion mm-hmm. like factory Kawasaki. Kawasaki yeah. He pulls up and, you know, and he's got his mechanic and they get out and he's doing like a lot of pros did to come out and show up for do the long motos. Yeah. And he, um, he got a great start. I kind of was in the back a little bit. And I, I came up, and with one lap to go, I was like, I don't need to follow him. I think yeah. I could pass him. Right. And, and I, I actually went around the outside of him in, in a corner because, you know, my dad always said, you know, you treat people with respect, and you're not going to stuff somebody like that. Yeah, yeah, it's and, the jammer. You can't do that to the jammer, right? <laughs> and uh, so I went around the outside, I had him pass, but he wasn't going to give up, which put me on the inside for the next corner. Anyway, we we got together. He ended up having to sit it up, and I went through the last two or three corners, and I won the race. And mm-hmm. you know, I was I'm just working out in my own van, right? I mean, yeah. I drove myself to the races. My brother Brett was turning the wrenches for me, and I pull up to the truck, and 
uh, Brett's putting my bike on the stand, and, you know, he's, dude, I, it's awesome. I'm like, oh, man. I turn around, and Jimmy Weiner came straight through between my legs, and I'm now sitting on his handlebars. And and he called me, he called me names I didn't know that those were cuss words. And told me that I was a terrible rider, yeah, and yeah. that was not cool, and he lit me up. Like you couldn't believe I was, I don't know. I probably did cry. Um, <laughs> right. Big deal. But, right. But he told me, he goes, you will never be a factory rider. I will make sure of it. That was just a low blow. And you can't oh, wow. national champion. And I wouldn't even go up to get my money at the payoff window. I mean, yeah, I was really scared because, you know, I went back out and I, I won the second moto and, and oh, wow. I'm not even sure if, if he, if he even rode, yeah, yeah. but I won the overall, and um, to this day, if you talk to the jammer, <laughs> he'll still give me shit about that. Oh, that's and, funny. And he just lit me up. He, he yeah. had fun with me for about, well, literally my whole career. As long as he was writing, yeah. we'd go, we didn't even go someplace for dinner. I'd walk into a steak and ale or something and walk in with our teammates or me and, me and Dave Osterman, we'd walk in and he'd go, I owe you. I owe you. Don't think I'm going to forget. You know, so every race of my life, I had the jammer, like, with the target on me, right? So, anyway, it he seem, never yeah. did anything to me, and he was nothing but right. a, just an absolute yeah. wonderful person to me my, my whole life, you know. Well, that's, so. a, that's a cool story. So that, that opened some eyes, Yamaha's eyes specifically. Like, they're like, oh, yep. yeah. So nothing again, nothing happened. I yeah. continued to race. I I went to, um, and then, um, when July, I think it was July, June came around, um, it was time for the USGP and Kenny Clark gave me a call and said, Hey, we've got a works bike. Uh, you're still going to wear a DG Jersey, still doing your same deal. We want to give you an opportunity to ride a works bike in the 250 sport class at Carlsbad at the 500 GP. And I was like, Oh, yes, sir. Okay. Where do I, <laughs> what, what time? Um, yeah. Osterman met me out on a Thursday out at Saddleback. We now, had you, bike a little bit. Had you known um, Davo, or was this the sort of introduction nope. to Davo? Nope, this was the introduction. And they said, here's your bike and here's your mechanic. And I was thinking, well, this is just like a, uh, just a trial thing, right? So we went there, we won both motos, um, and Scott Gilman was second. And it was, you know, gosh, I, it was a really cool thing right yeah and yeah. then um two weeks later was the super bowl of motocross and kenny clark says hey a bike's still available <laughs> keep it right do you want to ride um uh, and i said you know of course yeah. you know this is just a kid waiting for the the dream to you know to wake up right right, right. and um we went to the coliseum and uh hannah was he was, you know, trying to win the championship. And um, so there were, it wasn't like it was team tactics, but Hannah was having bike trouble, and I ended up, like, holding back for too long. And then, anyway, they kind of turned me loose. Um, and I ended up getting fourth overall in my very first Supercross. And um, so I think they were impressed. And, they, yeah. and I know that they knew that I probably could have got on the box, yeah. uh, which – I don't know, blessing or a curse, right? Who knows, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. So um, I maybe you get beat up by the uh, jammer if you make the podium. 
<laughs> exactly. So anyway, it was uh, it was pretty cool. The next week, Kenny Clark uh, called me again and said, "Hey, look, we're going into the 500 Nationals, and there's a there's a uh, half the race. There's six race series. Mm-hmm. Half will be on a 125. Half will be on a 250. We've got a factory bike, a mechanic, and a truck." you know, set and ready to take you, would you like to sign a con- a six-month contract? Wow, yeah. And I was like, sure, yeah. Uh, yeah. What a, what a so, rags-to-riches story a little bit, you know? I mean, and, not, not rags because you were a good rider and everything, but, you know. I mean, so just to put it in perspective, I said to, um, I said to, to Kenny, um, this is how naive I was. So, <laughs> Here's the whole thing, and he goes, "We're gonna, um, it's gonna be a thousand dollars a month, um, and then there was a bonus program, and, and I and I didn't dare tell him, I, I'll do it for free, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then I said, okay, so then do I, do, where do I get in? The, so I'll go, I'll drive to the races with Osterman, and they go, no, 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 we'll, we'll you're gonna go on an airplane, and it, <laughs> Steve, right. I'd never been on an airplane in my life. Yeah, for that. Right. So, um, here I am. I'm what, 19 years old. Yeah. And um, I did all this on my own. I mean, my dad sort of gave me a pat on the back and said, "You'll mm-hmm. be fine." I went in and signed my own contract, did all this stuff, and then Kenny says, "So you're going to get a plane ticket in the mail. This is pre e ticket." Right. So of for your listeners, that when I'm talking about this stuff, it's really this is really how it works. Yeah. Um, so. So, you know, a week or so before the first race, I mean, I just still cannot believe my good luck. Yeah. Um, and the first race was in, I think it was at uh, Lake Whitney. And so I, I get a ticket in the mail, and it says, you know, I depart on uh, Friday morning, mm-hmm. and I return on Sunday night. Mm-hmm. So I called Kenny, and I said, <laughs> I swear, this is again, so naive. <laughs> I said, I'll, I'm sure my voice was shaking, and I said, Kenny, um, the ticket, it's only good for one race. Yeah. And he goes, <laughs> what? And I go, I thought I, I thought I got a six-race deal. Yeah, yeah. And he goes, you're an, you're an idiot. We're, we're, you're, you're good. You're, Calm down. You're right. going to come home. You're going to fly there every week and come back. And... Right. So, anyway. Yeah. Another another one of those naive little stories. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're like, damn it! It's only one race, Kenny. That's yeah. funny. I thought I got a six race deal. <laughs> right, right, right. Merry Christmas, everybody! Thank you for listening to this Mike Bell podcast, brought to you by BTOSports.com and Fox Racing. Use the code PulpMX to save yourself big time money at uh, BTOSports.com when you're checking out. And, hey, here comes a race tech commercial for you guys. I'm sure you need some suspension work done or suspension parts or whatever. Use the code PulpMX2014 to save yourself money at Racetech.com. And, again, thanks, everything, for all you guys do for me all year long and listening to all this stuff that I put out. It's awesome. I never would have thought that I would have got this many listeners. It's amazing and incredible all at the same time. So thanks, jerkies. Looking forward to 2015. All right, listen to your commercial and then more Mike Bell. BTOSports.com, RacerX Podcast, presented by Fox Racing. 
Hey, I want to talk about privateers and what they choose for suspension. Yeah, that's right. Some of the top privateers, most of the top privateers out there, choose Racetech. Long been supporting the world's fastest privateer since 1984. Michael Lieb, Vince Freeze, Chris Blows, Cody Gilmore, and many other guys uh, choose uh, Racetech suspension, and they've been around a long time, and their their work stands for itself. Don't forget, people, at least uh, change your oil in your new bike. Use Racetech to do it. Some of that stock oil isn't that good. Uh, Racetech is the world's largest aftermarket motorcycle suspension modification company. 30 years they've been supplying racers, riders, and tuners with the industry's best suspension products. Paul Thie, the owner of Racetech, one of the smartest guys out there, and uh, the creators of the do-it-yourself gold valve kit. It's a revalve in a box. Racetech.com for a full listing of suspension parts, tools, and information. Racetech. Go there. Make your bike handle better. Do it. Racetech.com. Thanks for listening. Now, was Osterman the guy? Was he, was he your guy yep. now? Wow. Uh, yep. So, Dave was my guy. and Was Davo back then, and I saw some photos of Davo when he was your mechanic, and he had a majestic uh, perm going on. It's pretty good. Um, yeah. Was Davo, and I love Davo, he's a good guy, and, and he's done a ton in the industry. Was he back then, if you asked Davo, hey, can you you know, put a 170 main in, would he tell you all about putting the 170 main in for 45 minutes? Before he put them on? No. Okay. You know what? We were both, I mean, when you think about it, we were just kids. Yeah, He's yeah. same age as me, right? So right. we're two 19-year-old kids oh, okay. yeah. with with factory bikes and a, our own truck. And, you know, mm-hmm. Dave was very calm. You know, he, I knew, I knew of Dave because Dave worked for um, Al Baker, who oh, I didn't my know dad that. sponsored. Okay. Yeah, okay. So when, when Al Baker rode off-road bikes, he rode my dad's bikes. Oh, okay. Didn't know um, that. Right, yeah. Um, so, you know, I knew a little bit about about Dave. And mm-hmm. um, so, you know what? He just worked on the bike. The hardest thing that we had was that I'd been – I worked on my bikes my whole life. Mm-hmm. I grew up as a kid, as a son of a me- motorcycle mechanic. Right. You know, my dad was um, – my dad said, here's the tools you need. Here's what you need to do. Let me know when you get to this point. And then I'll get you to the next point. Right. He was definitely a, a guy that he was not going to give you fish. He was going to teach you how to fish. Yeah, yeah. And um, and I always appreciate that. So when when I wasn't riding the bike, I wanted to work on it. So that was the biggest problem with me and Dave. <laughs> right. You know, because if he really wanted to talk about what he was going to do, I had my own opinion too. Yeah, so yeah. I think he yeah. learned. I'm just not going to say anything. I'm just going to work on the bike and try to do everything I can right. to keep a bob wire fence around the bike in the pit area. So this kid, so that, this kid just rides it. Doesn't just focuses on riding. Yeah, I'd go, Dave. I'll clean the air cleaner. I'll even change the tires. I'm really good at it. I'm, I'm happy to do it. And he goes, No, 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 no. Because yeah. when it goes flat, it's not going to be your fault. It's going to be my fault. Right. You right. know. So we used to argue all the time, but you got to think about it. I mean, we were 19, 20 years yeah. old. Yeah, we're, true, right? We're just children um, yeah, with no adult supervision. Yeah, he's an, he's an awesome guy, man. He's done so much, and uh, I love talking to him. I love getting the old stories. You know, and he's got a good memory, man. He, he knows a lot of stuff still. Like, and he, yeah. you know, he makes a point in reference and stuff. So he's a really, really interesting guy. Um, we had a good time. You, uh, and so how'd you do in that series, in those two series? I won the series. Okay. Um, second place in that series was Mark Barnett. 
Oh, okay. A very unknown Mark Barnett yep. was writing a private, you know, uh, he was Fox. Out of, he would have been Fox, right? Or it was before then? No, it was before that. Okay, yeah. And um, so we ended up, you know, writing those. Um, we ended up also that same season. So I won that series. I think I won four of the races. I think Bomber won like in North Carolina mm-hmm. and then I DNF'd in Florida. Um, but I ended up winning the series. I think Bomber DNF too. Gary Ogden won the last race. Was it, Dave, um, was it Davo's fault? Uh, no, we were riding, actually, we had different bikes um, because I was riding hand-me-down bikes. I was riding, um, you know, brought, uh, most of the 125s that, when I rode the 125, I rode a hand-me-down from, um, from Brock. Mm-hmm. And the 250 I had was a hand-me-down from Bob. <laughs> um, and so... Um, it was fun that year also in 77, got to ride the infamous, uh, you know, the San Antonio National. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. That brought, and that brought by. That, so that whole day was, um, you know, a, a good memory. Yeah. Because um, I, I had an opportunity to ride. But what's funny is that I didn't get to ride a, a works bike there because there wasn't an, enough. Um, and we had modified um stock 125 so that everyone knows the story right pierre uh ricky brigat you know everybody Mm -hmm. from every team they just put as many riders as they could in there but um also very 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 unknown uh small factoid on that day um was i rode the um rode in that race i was fourth overall and bomber was fifth um, but just to put it in perspective, so I'm super proud of those results. Yeah. But just to put it into perspective, we got lapped by the top three. Oh, wow. That's how, really? That's how fast those guys were. Yeah. Bomber and I were riding modified production bikes. Yeah. And this was back in an era when they were truly, you know, $50,000 works bikes. Yeah, they know? were big deals. Right, for sure. Yeah. Um, so it was, um, it was fun just. So that really elevated you to factory rider. I mean, that was it. Yamaha had seen enough. You were on the team. Yep. And then the next year, um, in 78, um, you know, I got to ride, you know, the whole uh, the outdoor yeah. uh, the series. Uh, rode Supercross. Uh, I won the Super Bowl of Motocross that year. It was also, unfortunately, the first year of a knee injury for me. Yeah. I was leading the 500 National Championship after three rounds. And, um, I ran, <laughs> I have long legs. Everyone yeah. knows that. Yeah, how, t- how, I, tall I are you? My... how tall are you? Six foot four. Six four. And, and like, I mean, I remember in the magazines, there was nobody even close, right? To you. You were by far the tallest guy. Yeah. I think, I think Brock would be about as close. I mean, uh, yeah. Dale Schultz is pretty tall. Oh, was he? Steve okay. Stack- Steve Stackable was, uh, right at the, you know, he was, yeah, and his his last couple of years during my first couple of years, and uh, we're pretty pretty close. I think he's six foot two. Oh, okay, um, and then then you got to get all the way up to you know Travis to get in the six three range. So yeah. I'm still an inch taller than Travis. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, now your knees are starting. You're already like this is the beginning of the end, uh, kind of. And what did you in right? Well, I ended up having five uh, surgeries um, during my career. Um, but yeah, that was definitely mm-hmm. my Achilles, um, heel there. There was, 
it was something that I dealt with throughout my career, uh, you know, every series. I, I think my st- the stats show, I mean, I, I won one Supercross title, and I was um, – Five or six time number two. Yeah, here, here's what I got to say, Mike. I don't think I gave you enough credit in my mind for how good you were. In 79, you're second in the 500s, third in the Supercross. In 80, you're second in the 250 outdoors, first Supercross. 81, second in the 500s, second in the Supercross. A three year reign where you're wor- racing two series a year and your worst finish was a third overall. I mean, yeah. I never really realized that, to be honest, that you were that close. Like, you, you know, you're kind of like the Wyndham a little bit, although Wyndham didn't get a major title. Um, but you were a little bit like that, where, where it was just, just a tick off from, from being, like, multi, multi-time uh, championship holder. I, my bad. Yeah. Sorry, Mike. I, I yeah, should give no, you more credit in my mind. It, <laughs> no, it's cool. I mean, you know, AMA has their, all their, their stats, too, right? And somebody had done a – a statistic on, you know, some of my races. It's pretty mm-hmm. interesting, like on my, you know, my podium, you know, average in Supercross of, and I think I did 100 Supercrosses. I think I had a better than 50% podium average. Yeah. Um, and then and the outdoors, you know, it's the same thing. I don't remember ever, I don't, I just honestly can't remember ever not getting a top three. Yeah. Um, and, and, but it was very competitive. And the series were, you know, really, really tough. And mm-hmm. you have to remember in those those days, the bikes changed so much, and the and the the tide went back and forth so much. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. the Yamaha is like unbeatable. Now the Suzuki was so blurry, yeah. just yeah. can't be beat, right? And then the Hondas come in, can't be beat. Now the Kawasaki's getting the best start. No, they get, and right. it just goes, it goes on and on and on, right? Oh. And um, <clears throat> oh, uh, well, okay, so seventy nine. Hannah wins the Supercross title, right? Um, yep. Breaks his leg water skiing. He's your teammate. Um, he, You win in 80, and like we talked at the beginning of the show, it was a pretty much a cakewalk for you. Uh, seven wins. You won it by 49 points. Um, I want, I don't, it wasn't easy by any means, but you know what I mean? It was a great year yeah. for you. So yep. Hannah comes back. Now, you took his crown, and the only reason he lost in his mind is because of his broken leg. How right. tense did it get, or did it get tense? Because we all know the hurricane stories. You know, he hated everybody. So you know what Bob did. You know, I, I don't know. Bob was uh, definitely played a lot of the. He he grew up in the you know the era of the of the jammer, mm-hmm. and there was it was kind of Muhammad Ali style intimidation, man. It was more like <laughs> boxing. Right. I mean, it was like in your face. I mean, Bob didn't want to pit next to Brock and I, you know, Kenny would be yelling at him and Keith, no, you've got to park down here. You can't park with the Honda guys. And, right. you know, it was always drama, right? We, yeah. we didn't, we didn't eat together. We didn't train together. We didn't test together. Um, I mean, did you, you personally know, get along with him? How, I mean, were you okay? Or how was that? I mean, you're a pretty nice guy, it seems like, but. The thing is, is that Bob and I never, we never had a problem. Yeah. Um, you know, he. There was one race when I had this in Seattle. I had literally. I mean, I got the two lap sign, mm-hmm. came around, uh, had a had a ten second lead, and they're giving him, you know, the the blue flag. But he's not going to get out of the way. He's not going to move over. And um, you know, I ended up getting cross rutted on the last lap and ended up getting second to Daryl Schultz. Okay. And he was like, I go, I can't. He goes, he just laughed at me. Like, it was, 
funny. You're right? like, you're like, you cause cost the team Yamaha. You like cost the team a win, Bob. I was like crying, man. I had a Supercross win in my hands, right? And he laughed at me, right? And he was like, it's just a race, dude. Just get over it. We got to race again tomorrow, right? right? And it was, um, that's funny. You know, that's funny. There's just those parts of of him where he was, you know, super serious. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, I still have a ton of respect. I mean, what he accomplished in his career. He, and we get along great. Do you? Okay. I was going to say, how, how are you guys now? Because I find Bob, when I'm talking to Bob, there's 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 talking to Bob on the phone, and then there's like, "Hey, Bob, I just hit record." There's also that Bob when you hit record, you know. You know what? <laughs> Bob has been. I give him a ton of credit. I mean, he's he is he's um no one. He's in no one's wallet. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 He's he's not dependent on this industry or any other. He's going to tell it like it is. Yeah. And um, he's. I've always respected him for that because he just, you know, if you're Bob's good friend, you are dialed. I yeah. mean, cause he is, he is loyal to a fault, man. He is just, he will give you every last time he's got, if he considers you one of in his group. Right. Um, I don't think he disliked me or Brock or anyone else on the team. I think it was just part of how he got himself ready how, to go to battle. Yeah. How he needed to be to, to want to be, to want to win. Right. Right. And all the things like with Brock and with Howerton, almost all those things happened almost even off the track because it just kept going. It just, <laughs> it just kept going. And then, you know, the shit talking and, yeah. you know, it, that's a whole, it's, uh, it's super interesting, right? As a fan, you know, right, it's right. funny to read all that. But, you know, Brock's a dear friend of mine. I just talked to Brock on the phone, you know, last week. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, uh, I love the guy too. And they're as different as, Night and day. Yeah, they're right? they're still kind of oil and water a bit, right? I mean, I don't. Yeah, I mean, it's just the way they are. It's just personalities. It's just a personality thing. Yeah. And you know, I, I could, I'd be happy to sit, you know, with both of them or one of them. <laughs> I don't know, know if you get. I don't know if you. Yeah, I don't know if you ever get both of them together to have a beer, but <laughs> maybe. we don't actually. I mean, I don't. Some of the times, I think those guys, you know, whatever they decide yep. to, to to do, I, I know that, um, you know. Bob um, and Brock, and, you know, other people that are opinion, you know, um, Ken Howerton. I mean, I just, I don't think that a lot of that stuff goes away, you right. know, even with time. So um, anyway, you, so yes, yeah, 79, you, you get to third in the Supercross and 80, uh, you win it in a, in, I mean, like I said, we, you had a great year. Um, Barnett's coming on 81 and actually surprising. I was, I didn't realize this, Mike, you got second in the points, which is really good, but you didn't win a race. You came close, tons of podiums, but yeah, yeah. This was a time, so that was one of those races in '81 yeah. that I could have won. There were so put this in perspective. We started that year off on a on a bike. So in '80 we had the bike that couldn't be beat. Yeah. In 1981 we have water cooled bikes, but the radiator is on the front fork. <laughs> yes. Um. The, the forks got so hot that the oil in the fork could not, didn't work. <laughs> really, um, huh? It, I remember the production bikes were garbage, but it's nice to know the, the factory bikes were too. So we went through half the season with the new factory bike. And then by the time I think we got to Houston, mm-hmm. we actually went back to the old bike. Oh, you did? So we were already, you can't ride the same bike 
the next year. We even though it was magical in eighty, yeah. you still have to upgrade it, right? Yeah. So while everyone else made improvements, we had to we went back to what we had the year before. And this um, this kind of started Hannah's hatred for these bikes. I mean, he at this point, absolutely, yeah, yeah. And you know, so then things started to come through, and when they're we're trying to make changes, right? Mm-hmm. And then if a pipe came, I was defending champion, and and when Bob started back in eighty one, mm-hmm. I mean, he he never beat me in a race either, right? right? So even though I didn't have these good results, if you look at those again. I was the top Yamaha rider almost every week yeah. in and week out. Yeah. And, um, and so Yamaha never had a totem pole. When Bob was the number one guy, when they'd send a pipe over, they'd send three. So he'd get one, Brock would get one, yeah. I'd get one. Right. When there was a new shock, Bob got one, Brock got one, I got one. Mm-hmm. It just, there was never this pecking order, right? Yeah. But in this year, there was. So even though my bike was a little bit better, which yeah. was still not good. Yeah. It was, you know, Bob was his, you know, hate and disgust <laughs> for those motorcycles. Mm-hmm. I mean, Bob was a guy that was willing to go out and earn his paycheck every single week, right? Yeah. It, it wasn't about him being a salary guy. I don't think Bob ever counted. Salary was just sort of a... Um, a bonus, yeah. 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 You know, like, um, you know, I, that's kind of makes my car payment or my house payment or something, right? I, mm-hmm. The way I'm going to put money in the bank is winning. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, is winning main events and winning nationals. Anyway, um, so that kind of started down that road. And, you know, when I look back, right? and I was a good, you know, this is, you know, I guess this part of my love for Yamaha. I never thought anything of, of it. I really just thought, you know, it's just, it's just one of those seasons, right? Yeah, we'll yeah. we'll be back. Right, right. We'll be good. We'll be good for the outdoors, um, and you know that's that's where it was all at anyway. I mean, even even then, a um, little bit of a sidebar. I mean, for me, even in this time, winning the Supercross championship was cool. Um, it was fun, you know. It it was there was good good yeah. money, um, but you got to keep it in perspective. I mean, at that point, if someone would have said, "Hey," You lost the, the, the 500 championship in 79 by three points to Danny Laporte. Mm-hmm. You won the Supercross championship in 1980. If someone would have said, do you want to change, change. those championships? I'd have said, absolutely. I'll, I'll trade yeah. my Supercross championship for that 500 national championship. Yeah, really, right? Different right? time. Yeah. Because that's when we were all looking at, you know, DeCosta and all those guys and, and, and seeing that being a 500 world championship, that's, mm-hmm. that's the best riders in the world, right? Um, so it was, you know, it was just, it's just, again, I always try to put it some context and perspective in for, um, you know, even your audience to, to know yeah. how we thought. And at that time, um, what, what it, or also too like, think about this way too. say right now, Kawasaki comes out with Davey Millsaps and, and they, you know, have this, they decide to take their linkage off or I guess let's go to KTM. KTM's racing with a full linkage for Ryan Dungey, and then he's struggling, and they go back to a non-link system. I mean, this would be what well, you would never do it nowadays. You would never because right. you're, you're basically saying our production bike doesn't work; it's no good. And right. you know, and that's basically what you guys did. I mean, that's that's a big deal. You know, hey, yeah. we got to go back to no radiator on the handlebars anymore, guys. You know, well, at that point. You know, those, those are times when even our production bikes, you know, 1981 isn't like one of those 
um, or 82 mm-hmm. would have been the 82 that we would have rode, right? Cause we yeah. would get the pre-production stuff was not a, a really great motorcycle, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and all the brands have those years. And that's why I say it's, it's, it's really a different time when, you know, the bikes were significantly different and, you know, the brands would have a year where they were really, really difficult to, to beat. Um, um, 82 Supercross, did you get hurt? You uh, 18th overall, the knees again? Yeah. 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 I ended up having trouble um, with my knees. Uh, then it became, you know, more and more where, you know, the injuries were just happening really at the, at the wrong time. Yeah. Um, I still won. I did win the Super Bowl in autocross in 1982. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, you know, kind of like winning Daytona now. Yeah. You know, that was, yeah, was that deal. was the big one. Right. Um, so it kept me alive and I was competitive when I raced. I was always, um, you know, right in the front, always, um, you know, fighting for a spot on the box. Um, and, you know, had, had some really good races, um, good, good, good races that year. But there were just too many that I, I just didn't compete in at all. Um, what did you get for a bonus from Yamaha for winning the Supercross title? Do you remember? Yeah, $25,000. Uh-huh, okay, what was your salary? Uh, let's see. What was I making then? I think I was making 125,000 a year. Okay. So yeah, you were getting, you were getting good money. You know what I mean? I mean, obviously your results dictated it too, but, um, yeah. And, and and 83, now 83 comes along and, oh, by the way, do we have longer than an hour or do you got to go? I'm okay. Okay. 83 comes along and now you're on a team with Glover Johnson, this kid named Rick Johnson, who was on the team in 82, but, um, he had crashed out and Ron Lachine. Um, and you yep. still won a Supercross, though. That had to be your last one at Dallas. Um, and I remember as a kid, like, uh, you know, Mike Bell, he's a former champion, but he's injured a lot, and he's kind of at the end. Of course, you're probably like 25 years old. You know what I mean? Yeah. But um, yeah. You, it had to feel good in 83. Honda had the factory bikes. Your bikes, again, Yamaha, not good. Hannah's gone. Um, uh, so I had to feel good to, to, to know, like, hey, I still still got it. What what happened at Dallas? What, what clicked? It was um... – it was really like Ascot. It was really hard packed play. <laughs> yeah. And um, they overwatered it a little bit. Okay. So that was, um, it was, you know, when you go to a track where it's just that hard packed clay and then when it gets wet, it's just super slippery. It's yeah. like pouring, it's like putting soapy water in your garage floor, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I grew up racing that and it just was one of those throttle control races. If Kevin Windham would have been in that era, he would have won. Right. Right. It right. Was, it was just that kind of thing. And um, my style was similar to um, K-Dubs in the mm-hmm. sense that it was just all kind of throttle control. And, you know, being big, you can kind of work the bike and, yeah. um, you know, just real purposeful in everything I did. And it just ended up, you know, being good. Yeah. It was funny because, you know, it's like this Ron Machine kid's like doubling these things. I'm like, what the heck? And then he couldn't <laughs> stop for the corner. And then... Uh, <laughs> I think Hannah ended up getting second on the Honda that night. Yeah. And yeah, I was feeling pretty good. I was feeling, you know, really good about it. And, um, and then the next week, I think it was the very next week we raced in, it was a race we never did again. Um, trying to think of where it was. Uh, was it your St. Louis? St. Louis. Okay. Cause I, I was going to ask you in the, in the vault, your last ever race is 83. You got second in the motocross and you never raced again or so it says. Nope. 
No, I never did. That was my actually the last time I raced. I went to Mount Morris the next week and thinking, "Hey, I'm I'm really riding well. I won a Supercross. I got second yeah. in the national. You know, I'm 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 feeling pretty good." Mm-hmm. Um, at that race at St. Louis, um, Ricky Johnson. That's when he dislocated his hip. Oh, that's when he did his hip. Uh, okay, yeah. And then the next week, we're at Mount Morris and the big step up jump behind the start yeah. line. You know, the one that yeah, still goes there. behind the start line. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was jumping that no problem, and then uh, I moved over on you know some lappers, and the bike ended up getting just getting too front wheel high. Ended up looping out, and the 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 silencer hit in my knee already. You know, because oh, both geez. it wasn't one knee; it was both my knees. Yeah. I'd already had right. two and three surgeries on each. Yeah, and it broke the top of my tibia off with. Um, uh, the cartilage. Oh, jeez. And so got on a plane, went home, and my doctor, who was a friend of mine, mm-hmm. well, because I was there all the time, <laughs> um, he said, you know, I, I think you ought to, you know, think about giving it up because, you know, this is pre-asterisk knees braces and yeah. CTIs and everything else. Um, you know, we just didn't have the equipment to protect um, the knees like mm-hmm. we do now. And, um, he said, I'm afraid my friend that you're going to end up in a, you know, you're going to really hurt yourself. Um, because your confidence with always riding hurt. Yeah. You, you're just, you're never until you can just throw that leg out there. You're just going to keep hurting it over and over and over. And so I mean, decided to, you know, wrap it up, you know, right there, which wow. was, was really tough. I was, you know, looking back, yeah. you know, um, it was a, you know, really obviously a tough time, but and you, you look at the rest of the team, um, you know, I was definitely, you know, the weak, weak guy. Yeah. Uh, I was, you know, the ripe old age of 26 years old and, yeah. um, it was actually just, you know, time to quit. So I, I, I have no, I have no regrets, you know, to uh-huh. kind of keep working away at it and keep trying to just doing it for a paycheck. Just wasn't my style. So you, are you telling me you won Dallas, you got second in the motocross series and that in the third week, your career was over. Is that yeah. how it ended? Yes. That's crazy. Like three, like three weeks, the ultimate high to being done. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Does the Mike if if Mike Bell's racing in twenty in the year two thousand are there and I don't know what was wrong with your knees or what was going on but was there is there things nowadays obviously braces we talked about but are there surgeries nowadays that that no one had any idea back then yeah like yeah you know what I mean yeah they would have been able to do it and even just the rehab I mean we had no trainers we did all the training on my your own you'd have surgery and you'd go through initial rehab and then mm-hmm. you know you go right back to um yeah. you know doing what you do but you have to think about how long these series were too so we do an 18 race um supercross series mm-hmm. the nationals were always you know at, at least you know another 10 races so there's another you know 20 motos mm-hmm. and then we go straight into the trans am um or then then trans usa and then even when that went away we all started doing you know the world kind of supercross sport, yeah. right and so it just never ended you just keep you just mm-hmm. keep going and 
I mean, we were definitely more like kind of old school football players, right? Yeah, just, yeah. And you just get your gear back on and, <laughs> you know. Awesomeman's call, awesome calling you a wussy, you know what I mean, or yeah, whatever. Exactly. Like, yeah, yeah. Did, well, did, and even when I would be gone, you know, then, rec, then you know, as soon as I'd be hurt, shoot, Rex Staten would be on my bike or Mickey Kessler or yeah, yeah, whoever yeah. it was. <laughs> so Dave's working for all those guys. And, you know, Yamaha was, you know, they they got used to, you know, yeah. winning races and, yeah. and getting results. And um, um, so. Did, did, so you, uh, you had uh, cartilage problems, meniscus problems, ligament problems, everything? Or was there one thing that kind of did you in? Um, it was really just a combination of everything. The other yeah. problem was is that every one of the injuries I had mm-hmm. was different, was different. And that oh, was where okay. my doctor was so frustrated. Yeah, yeah. He goes, he goes, Mike, every time you get hurt, it's a new injury. Wow. You're, yeah, it's, yeah. it's not that you keep doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's something we could prevent. So he goes, even if we could brace it, we, we would brace it for what happened the last two times and then you'll do something <laughs> different. Right. So, it was, I mean. And how are they know, today? How are your knees today? Or what's happened for it to you, to you since? Well, I have artificial, um, I have prosthetic um, joints in both legs. Do you really, huh? Wow. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. all, I mean, again, you have no regrets. You do it again, but this is what's happened. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, seriously, um, knowing, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not going to be like, uh, foolish yeah. when you say things like this. If I know what I know today, then of course it's a different ball game. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, right, right. But it would have been all about prevention, and it would have been about rehabilitation, and it would have been doing it the right way, like you yeah. did, like like Villapoto has done. Right, you know the guys right. they have a serious injury, they take a serious approach to to repairing it. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I'm a big hockey guy. I'm Canadian, so I'm a big hockey guy, obviously. And there's a great, great player named Bobby Orr whose career was cut way short because of knee injuries. And I read his autobiography and like just simple stuff. This was in the mid seventies, you know, uh, late sixties, simple stuff like meniscus and things like that. They could totally go in and fix nowadays. They just did them yeah. in. They didn't know anything, you know? Right. And, right. Uh, and he was cut short. He, he was one of the greatest players of all time. It's, it's funny to hear him talk about. It. He's like, yeah, nowadays I gotta be back in two weeks with the injury that I had, you know? But yeah. And and I would be the I would I'm sure it would be the very much the same. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. we just but again, you know, Steve, I have absolutely you know no no regrets because I I made the decisions based on you know the information I had at the time. Mm-hmm. I had good I had good people around me, and um, so yeah. it's just you know just a chapter of my life. Just move yeah. on. Well, yeah, from from Supercross guy to out of the sport in in. Basically, three years, you know, some car champion to out of the sport, finishing runner up, and all that. It's it's pretty gnarly, uh, climb. Yeah, and, and, yeah. Um, uh, I don't have you for too much longer. So, you, you retire, you're 26, got some money in the bank, but now what do you do, right? Um, I remember you got a job at Oakley, right? At yep. some point, yeah. Um, and yep. also, too, you were uh, reading MXA my whole life you were in on mountain biking before it was mountain biking like talk about i guess first of all did those things did those come together at the same time where you were like hey i got to do something how did the mountain biking begin and and how the job at oakley start well my my um 
my doctor had told me, because I was, you know, like everybody, we just ran, right? We, yeah, yeah. we weren't on the motorcycle. We were running and going to the gym. Mm-hmm. We didn't know what we were doing, but we were trying to do something <laughs> for our cardio. Right. And um, so we were all running like maniacs. And, and then um, my doctor said, you know, um, you should cycle. You know, yeah. you, you need, you, you can't really do all this. Just, this running is not helping your knees to, to heal properly. Yeah. So I'm like, all right. You know, and he says, get a nice, you know, you can afford it. Go down and buy yourself a nice Italian, you know, uh-huh. road bike and, you know, go get fitted and do this whole thing. So I started hanging out at the local little bicycle boutique and I mm-hmm. pay like, you know, just remember being a lot of money. It was about <laughs> 1500 bucks for a bicycle back in, back, way back you in, know, yeah. this is back in 78, I think uh-huh. I did this and uh, got a Colnago and I just started riding and then a um, friend of mine, uh, he, who was editor of Mountain Bike Action, uh, pinkbike.com is uh, Richard Cunningham. He built me a custom Mantis. Oh, wow. I okay. Yeah. Went, I won the, the exhibition race at the Coliseum. Was this uh, when you were done? Was this when you were already retired? Or were you? Yeah. Okay. After I was retired. Yeah. And then, um, you know, went and did Mammoth, did Kamikaze, and did all these other things. Oh, so you got you know, into it. You fell got, in love with it. You got into it. Big time. Fell in love with it. Still love it now. And knees were good? Knees were it. no problem to pedal? Like all day long? Not, even the shocks and all that kind of stuff? Like, you didn't have yeah. shocks. You didn't really have suspension, but. Yeah. No, it didn't have suspension. Right. But it was, um, but it, it's, it's all been really good. Yeah. Ever since, it's just been, you know, having, having, a, having a great life. And the Oakley thing? You know, I started to work at Oakley, and, you know, the fun part was I was able to, you know, still keep going to the races, doing sports marketing. Uh-huh. And it was, it was just, you know, a lot of fun. Um, you know, had several other jobs, other, other points in my career doing different things and, uh, just, you know, just, you know, really lucky to get to do so many things and meet so many people and have so many great friends within the industry and, you know, remain friends with, um, just some great people. And, um, um, so, Bob, Bob Oliver Yamaha told me that Jim Gennard, you know, back then was trying to pedal his grips to everybody. And, you know, then he came up with goggles and he said he was a little bit of a different dude. And then who knew what Jim Gennard would grow Oakley into being? And you were certainly there at the beginning or early. Yeah. I mean, it was still, it was Jim. I mean, you know, Greg Arnett and some other guys, you know, we were working in the sports marketing department and, yeah. um, Obviously, you know, we had a lot of fun. The same thing. It was a very innocent time. Mm-hmm. It was a much different brand. Um, and, you know, just lucky to be able to do so many different things when it was, yeah. you know, innocent. You're, you're like, course, hey, other people will say, they'll say, yeah, you did all of it when it didn't pay any money. You know? <laughs> well, did you ever get Oakley stock? You should have bought in, Mike. Uh. Sure. I mean, we all did, but, you know, there's just. You know, it's just just life. Um, just life. You're like so. Jim. Those oh, those glasses called blades. They're never going to work. Those are so yeah. dumb, Jim. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, hey. Uh. Thanks. Thanks for doing this. I I really appreciate it. Uh. I, I felt like I learned more about your career. And uh, like I said, I don't think I gave you enough credit in the bench racing, Mike. Uh. Those are some great results year after year. And uh, not far from being, like I said, a multi-time champion. As it is, you're a past Supercross champion. So. 
uh, a terrific uh, career and all that. And thank you for doing the uh, BTOsports.com RacerX podcast presented by Fox Racing. I appreciate it, man. Good, good stories. Thank you for doing this. All right. Thanks. Um, any, anytime. I really, really appreciate you giving me a call. All right. Thanks, Mike. Okay. Take Bye. care. This has been the BTOsports.com podcast show presented by Fox Racing. Don't forget to check out some of our past shows, including motocross legends such as The Bad Boy, Rick Johnson. I looked down and my hand was junk. I mean, yeah. it was sitting over to the side. The tendons were jerking in weird places. And my biggest disappointment with Danny Sorbeck is that he never said sorry. Danny and I were friends, and we've never talked since. Brian Lunas. Before the 500 event, Dave and I fly to Germany, go down to Stuttgart. There's this little shop out the back of the mall factory. We get our cylinders, take them back, and, you know, off we go. And, you know, we ran Nicosil Cylinders as a factory part for a handful of years before anybody ever saw it in production. Dave Arnold. And, and Magoo was all, you know how he did the big pancake thing? Right, and right. and he's got the thing, he's completely laying on the gas tank trying to miss his tree. I mean, he would have gone even harder, jumped farther if that tree hadn't have been, you know, yeah. if, if it hadn't been there. The Hurricane Bob Hanna. I love the guy. I don't dislike. I think yeah. he's the greatest competitor this sport ever had. That absolutely 100% in my mind. I firmly believe that statement I said about these modern day guys in Switzerland or Holland or Belgium on 45 minutes on the same bike. You're not beating Roger. Are you crazy? Right. They're not doing it. If they think they're so much better nowadays than they were in those days, they're fools. They're different bikes, different times. The Beast from the East, Damon Bradshaw. It got to the point where I didn't want to leave home. And once I got to the race, I wasn't into it. If I wasn't going to give 100%, I'm not going to take their money. The working class hero, Doug Henry. It was definitely an emotional moment for me, just thinking to myself, that's it, you know, and it's, it's amazing the stuff that goes through your head in a short amount of time of the things that, you know, that I was going to miss. The daughter, Ron Machine. Until you really open your ears and you want to listen to what they're saying, it's like beating a dead horse. I mean, and I know from personal experience, did anybody ever sit me down? Of course they did. Everybody did. Go Circuits, Mitch Payton. There's two ways to make the money. One is you can sign for money, or two, you can earn the money. I'm a high believer in earning the money. I think they ride better when they earn the money. Seven-time Jeremy McGrath. I was so mad, like so disappointed and so frustrated that I pulled pick and I left. Every point counts. I could kick myself to this day for not just riding around in tents. It's been no problem. My, my ego got in the way, you know? The O Show, Johnny O'Mara. Stuff that you could, you'd sit there if you didn't want to ride and you just wanted to just look at it all day. I mean, I got a chance to test all that. I like that era I was in. I really do. Search Pulp MX in the iTunes store to enjoy these and over 500 more great motocross podcasts. The days and the months and the years come.